morning, guys. Happy to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Shane. I'm the youth and worship resident here at Stonebridge Church. Not often do I get to preach on Sundays, so this is uh, a really fun weekend for me to be able to come up and just open up God's Word and, and learn with you guys as, as we hear from, hear from the Lord. And uh, I tell you what, I get a kick out of Sunday mornings, especially uh, leading worship for you guys and, and even being able to teach you guys, but um, there's one thing about Sundays that I love more than anything else, and that's just being able to, to be in a room full of believers who are all part of one body and one mind, proclaiming Jesus as their Lord and Savior through song. That's just, that's powerful. I get overwhelmed by it. Um, and I don't get to brag on the worship team enough because usually I'm up here with them, and so that would seem like self-bragging a little bit. But those guys are incredible. Um, yeah, I am so blessed to have those guys. Uh, so if you ever see them, just tell them thank you. Uh, tell them you appreciate it because they work really hard. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19. But as you turn there, I want to tell you a story. When I was a kid, me and my buddy would love building forts. We loved building forts. Man, I just wanted a clubhouse. You know, I, I always saw on TV that, that these kids my age had forts and tree houses and a place to go that they could call their own, that they could throw a sign on that said no girls allowed because back then we were weird. Um, girls are great. If you're a 10-year-old in this room and you're like, girls are icky, give it a couple years. Uh, but the problem is that any time we try to build a fort or a tree house or anything, it didn't last very long, man. It, it was like, it might stand for a few months, and it'd fall over. We had, we had one stand for a year, it'd fall over. We even had a treehouse once. Um, that didn't last very long. Fun fact, don't build treehouses in dead trees. Um, that, take that one to the bank, all right? That's a life lesson that I learned early on, my little 10-year-old self. See, the one consistent thing about all of the things that we tried to build whether it was forts or we even tried to build a boat one time. We built it out of old doors that we found. Doors aren't good boat material. Um, don't do that. But the one consistent thing about everything that we tried to build <clears throat> is that it would just fall apart. Now, this could be attributed to my, my poor 10-year-old construction skills, uh, as I'm sure I had. Uh, but looking back on it, I think the reason that everything fell down was actually because it lacked one thing, a solid foundation. See, like whether we were building forts in muddy dirt or, or sandy dirt, or we were building tree houses in dead trees, they all lacked that solid foundation. So when the foundation crumbled, the structure crumbled. You can't build a solid structure without having a solid foundation. It just doesn't work. And so what we're going to hear from Paul in this passage is that Jesus, and more importantly, his resurrection, is the foundation of our faith. It's that rock-solid foundation, and without it, the entire building crumbles. Just like my forts, just like my tree houses. 
So let's read this passage together. We're going to go through the whole thing here together. So start with me in verse 12. It says, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Seems pretty simple. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if Christ, if in Christ we have no hope, or we have hope in this life only, then we, of all people, are most to be pitied. And I love this passage. It, it fits so perfectly with how I view problems, right? I just, I look at the hypotheticals, what, what if? And Paul here, he sees this problem with the thinking of the church of Corinth. They, they have this problem, and rather than him just telling them to sit down, shut up, I preach the resurrection to you, believe it, it's true, it happens, he actually just walks them through their wrongful thinking in a really easy-to-follow way. He says, guys, let me, let me just tell you, let me share with you the what-if, the hypothetical situation behind your wrongful thinking. What was that wrongful thinking that they had? Look at verse 12. Paul says, I came here and I preached the gospel to you that included Christ being resurrected from the dead. How are you still saying that people aren't resurrected from the dead? He's saying, I told you that Christ was resurrected. You can't believe that people aren't resurrected. It seems simple. Last week, Matt mentioned that that Jews at the time didn't believe in divine people or divine resurrection. Some of you might remember that. Fun fact, number two for the day. So number one, don't build tree houses and dead trees. Uh, fun fact number two. Turns out most people didn't believe in the resurrection of people from the dead. Guys, this was an ancient time with ancient medicine. There was no modern medical practices. There was no CPR to bring people back from the brink of death. There was no adrenaline shot to the heart where maybe if you could get it jump-started again, things would work. We didn't have those, uh, those shocky pads, you know, you're, you're back. We didn't have those. When people were dead, they typically stayed dead. And Paul, as he's writing to the church in Corinth, knows these stigmas, knows these stereotypes over the resurrection, over resurrection in general from the dead, he recognizes that this, this is going to be a problem that people have, and so he walks through it so beautifully with them in a way that's easy to understand. So the problem that the church of Corinth is facing and that Paul is going to address here is that they are claiming that there is no resurrection from the dead while also claiming Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Do you see the issue here? So we just spent all last week, like I just said, looking at evidences for why the resurrection happened. Matt did a great job preaching that message. I walked away 
so, so, like, my mind was just wandering on all the different evidences that he gave that some of which you just don't think about it, but he broke it down beautifully. So if you haven't checked that out, go check out that message. That's a really good message, and it's going to segue so well into this and then into Easter. But we know because of those evidences that the resurrection did happen, and we know as Christians that Jesus did in fact raise from the dead. How many of you remember back in school, we're going to go back to elementary school, maybe this is a middle school thing, if-then statements. Anybody? They were uh, cause and effect for some of you. So cause and effect, if-then. So they're really, really simple statements. If this happens, then this happens. So I'll give you some examples. If I don't do my homework, then I'm going to get a bad grade. If I don't show up for work, then I'm going to get fired. Hey-ho. Um, if I eat an entire Adobe special by myself, then I'm going to hate myself four hours from now when I have to go to the bathroom. I'm telling you people, the Adobe special is the best tasting time bomb I've ever put into my body. I swear by it. But everything has a cause and effect, okay? And so Paul is going to walk us through the cause and effect. No, seriously, Adobe Lounge, check it out. The greatest pizza in Boone. Paul is going to walk us through the cause and effect of not believing in resurrection. He says, if you guys don't believe in the resurrection, then none of this can be true. So he's going to walk us through a series of if-then statements, and I'm going to I'm going to actually simplify these down. I'll have them up on the screen for you. So if you're taking notes, you can jot them down and, and pull from those. But we're going to just start and walk through the text and then break it down into these simple cause and effect if-then statements. So starting in verse 12, it says, if, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. This one's simple. If people cannot be raised from the dead, then Christ could not have been raised from the dead. Why? Because Jesus, we know, was 100% God. He was the Son of God. But he was 100% man as well. He's included in that men's statement. If men don't raise from the dead, Jesus could not have raised from the dead. Paul is saying that Jesus was just as much of a man as we were, and if men can't be raised, neither could Christ. So that's our first if-then statement. If people cannot be raised from the dead, then Jesus could not have been raised from the dead. Continuing on in verse 14, we're going to look at 14 through 16 here and break this down into a couple if-then statements. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. Are you starting to hear that repetition that Paul is, is speaking of here as he goes through this? He's just hammering on it over and over and over and over again. If people aren't raised from the dead, then Christ could not have been raised from the dead. Which leads us to our next if-then statement. If Christ was not raised 
then our preaching is meaningless. Now, Paul here is talking about his own preaching. He's talking about the preaching of the disciples, the apostles, as they've gone out. We just got done with Acts, right? We see the early church being sent out, spread out all over Asia Minor, all of these different places. The gospel's being spread like wildfire. And Paul's saying here that our preaching, everything that he spoke, and by proxy, everything that I'm speaking to you now, everything that Joey's ever spoken to you, Matt's ever spoken to you, any guy that stood on this stage and spoken to you is all meaningless. It's what? In vain if the resurrection doesn't happen. It's meaningless. So that if-then statement, if Christ wasn't raised, then our preaching is meaningless. And if Christ wasn't raised, then we are found to be false witnesses. That's our next if-then statement. We're found to be false witnesses if Christ isn't raised. You might also remember as we walked through the book of Acts, uh, our, our theme for that is, we will be your witnesses. What does that mean? It means that we will literally witness to the resurrected Jesus about the part that he's played in our own lives. That we were sinners, doomed to eternity in hell apart from God, but Christ redeemed us, died for us, and then rose again three days later to redeem us, giving us new life and his resurrection. And that witness, that witness cannot happen, it cannot be true, it doesn't hold firm if the resurrection doesn't happen because that resurrected Jesus is part of our witness. And Paul's saying, I preached that witness to you. Like, I, I witnessed to the resurrected Jesus. And if that isn't true, then I'm a, fault, I'm a false witness before God. So we see verse 14, his preaching is in vain, our faith is in vain. In verse 15, we are misrepresenting God. If Christ wasn't raised, then we are found to be false witnesses and our preaching is meaningless. Continuing on in verse 17 through 19, Paul's going to elaborate more on the consequences of, of not believing in the resurrection. The text says this, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. He says, if things, if, if all of these things are true, that people aren't raised from the dead, that Christ didn't raise from the dead, there is no resurrection. If all of these things are true, and our faith is in vain, everything about it just crumbles, it's meaningless, it's in vain, we're still in our sins, so the death of Jesus means nothing, there is no atonement, and we have no hope for eternity. And worst of all, he goes on and he says, if, if we who believe in Christ only hope in this life, if we only have hope in this life and none for the next, then Paul says we should be pitied more than anybody else. And how many times as Christians do we get up on our high horses, our Christian soapboxes, and we look out at the world and it's brokenness and how everything's so messed up and we see how people are sinning and just tearing each other apart and, and we think, man, I pity you. 
man, if only you had what I had. But Paul's saying here, without the resurrection, we have no basis to stand on and look at the world. Is there any different than us? Actually, the world should be looking at us and pitying us. Because all the hope that we have is only in this life, which is no better than any of the rest of them. Yet we sit on our high horses and we think we're better than everyone else. Jesus and his resurrection are the foundation of Christianity. They are that that cornerstone, that, that linchpin. Without it, the wheels fall off, the building crumbles. If it doesn't exist... No part of the building can stand. The whole thing falls down. Fortunately, Matt last week gave us evidence for the resurrection. We know that it happened. And if you're in this room and you still haven't heard Matt's message, or you're struggling to to come to grips with the resurrection, you have questions, or you just want more conversation about evidences for the resurrection, come find me. Come find Matt. Come find Joey. Find one of us, even an elder. We'd love to walk through and talk through that with you. But for those of us who follow Jesus, we know beyond a doubt that the resurrection happened. The good news today is that what Paul is saying here is only a hypothetical situation. It's only a hypothetical meant to to gently guide and correct the Corinthian thinking. Because the truth is that because of this good news, we can actually turn every if-then statement into hope for us and glory to God. If people do raise from the dead, that means that Jesus can be raised from the dead and was raised from the dead. And if Jesus did raise from the dead, and we know that he did then Paul isn't preaching in vain and the witness that he is to Christ and the witness that we are to Christ and his resurrection are true. And if Paul's witnesses and, and solid teaching, or if Paul's witness and teaching are solid and our, our witnesses and our teachings are solid, then those who hold fast to Jesus not only have hope in this life, but they have hope for eternity. Christ came to this earth, lived a sinless life without blemish, then like a lamb led to the slaughter was pierced for your transgressions while you were sinning against him. And as a fulfillment of prophecy and as atonement for your sins, he died and he did that for you, whether you believe in him now or not. He died for you, whether you believed or not. And then three days later, he rose from the grave, proving that he was not just 100% man, but 100% God, crushing the head of the snake and leaving sin and death in the grave forever. See, Jesus, throughout his ministry, told several times of his death and subsequent resurrection. Do you know how damning of evidence it would have been for the man Jesus to die and stay dead how damning that would have been to the Christian faith to the Christian witness because if Jesus stays dead then he's not God but he didn't stay dead he rose from the grave he was resurrected and he didn't do that 
so that you could build up riches and treasures in this life without any generosity towards the needy and the oppressed in this world. He didn't do that so that you could dishonor and disrespect your body by sleeping around with any guy or girl that crosses your path who's halfway passable looking and hopes that it will satisfy something within you. He didn't do that so that you could put on a good face in public when inside you're dying from depression and mental illness, thinking yourself is worthless, meaningless, damaged goods. He didn't do that so that you could die, or he didn't die and raise from the dead so that you could hang on to your sin and insecurity in this world and die just as broken and hopeless as when you came into it. He didn't do that. He died and he rose again so that you could be forgiven of your sins and so that you could be sanctified in him. Why is the resurrection so important? Because we know that through Jesus' death, we've been given forgiveness from our sins. But it's through his resurrection that we are being sanctified. Now, if you're new to church or you're just unfamiliar with the word sanctified, it's really easy. It simply means, to, to be sanctified means to be made free from sin, to be made holy Set apart for God. As people in this world, we are broken and we are sinful and deserving of death. But as Christians, we are being sanctified through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are being sanctified. We are being made free from our sin, set apart as holy by a holy God. In sanctification, that sanctification looks different for different people. It might be that you finally look in the mirror tonight with a, a shred of self-worth knowing that God loves you, that you are enough, that you aren't damaged goods to God. We just heard that in Deb's story today. It might be that you're able to reach out and confess sin in your life for the first time that's been eating away at you, whether it's to somebody here, somebody that you trust, or confessing to God for the first time. It could be that today is the day that the sanctification process starts for you because today is the day that you ask Jesus in your heart for the first time. And if that's you in this room, again, come find me. Come find Matter Joey. It Come find an elder. Come find somebody because we'd love to walk through that with you. But if that's you, make that step. For me, this process by the grace of God has made me more humble, slower to anger. It's made me more forgiving of others who have hurt me in the past. I'm, I'm not hanging on to these grudges, but I'm forgiving people. And, and I'll be the first to tell you that sanctification process isn't complete. Definitely not by a long shot. I know that to be true of me, but I know that to be true in general. Because the sanctification process that, we, that, we've given, that we've been given through Christ's resurrection, it's not just a snap of the finger that makes us all better, that we're healed and we're whole and we're no longer broken or sinful people. No, we actually are. That's why we continue to need Jesus each and every day. That's why I have to wake up in the mornings and preach the gospel to myself. Because if I don't, I tell you what, the first thing in the morning, the first thing I want to do is turn away from God. 
But that's what sanctification looks like, that we are being changed daily to be made more of the image of Christ. And it doesn't stop until the day we die. How powerful is the resurrection? It's so powerful that it made Paul a staunch opposer of Jesus and the Christian message change everything about his life and go on the road as a missionary, sharing this hope that he has in a resurrected Jesus Christ who appeared to him with everyone who would listen to him. He went from killing Christians to preaching the gospel to literally everyone who would listen, including the people trying to imprison him themselves. Paul's encounter with the resurrected Jesus sparked action in Paul. Will your encounter with the resurrected Jesus spark action in you today? Today. I'm not asking you to to let the resurrected Jesus spark action in you tomorrow or when you feel like it. Will the resurrected Jesus spark action in you today? Now that action could be sharing the gospel with a coworker. It could be boldly moving away to help launch a church plant or go be a missionary. And I can tell you, we've got no shortage of missional meetings and and people going out and people being sent out on uh, church plants. It just, we've got a lot of of that going on here in the network. If you want to be bold in your faith, there's opportunity there for you to take action. And this action, guys, just like I said before, could be that you give your life to Christ today. Because we all started our walks with an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Now, even as I, as I think about this, I think of Jesus Sending the disciples out with the Great Commission. So I'm going to read that to you in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Even in his great commission, Jesus reminds us that the gospel message that he gave to them and sent them out with, that same gospel message that we hear today, isn't just hope for this life. It's hope for the next. He says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I stumbled across this article by Tim Keller uh, that had this this verse in it, these verses in it, and it's a fantastic article by Tim Keller. We use them a lot here. If you haven't read any of Tim Keller's stuff, go check them out, and this is a great place to start. It's an article called The Resurrection and the Christian Mission. It's a short little read on, uh, for just like an Easter devotional. But he said something that really cut deep when I read it. And I want to share that with you. So I'll, I'll read from this. He says, Jesus is thus promising in this passage to be the happy ending of all the world's history. 
and of our personal histories. Christians move out into a violent world as agents of peace, into a broken world as agents of reconciliation, into a needy world as servants of the poor. We do so knowing that it is God's will to eventually end all war and division, all poverty and injustice. The resurrection of Christ assures that God will redeem not just souls, but bodies, and will bring about a new heavens and new earth as the risen Christ. He stands not just with us in this present age, but he waits at the end of history to heal and renew everything. That isn't something that can be done by a dead God, by a dead idol. That's only something that can be done by a resurrected, living God. We're going to sing after this message. We're going to sing about our living hope in Jesus because he didn't stay buried in that tomb. Guys, dead trees don't make a good foundation, and neither do dead saviors. The foundation of our faith, the linchpin, the cornerstone, is Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Stand firm on the foundation of the living, resurrected Christ. And let that be the base that propels you forward into sanctification, into evangelism, and into eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. I see the ways that you're working in my life and the lives of others, God, and I am so overwhelmed by emotion. God, I thank you that you are not a God that stayed dead, but you are living, that you've given us new hope, new life in you. I pray as we go from this place that we would encounter the resurrected Jesus and that would spark us to action today, Lord. Not tomorrow, not the next day, but today that we would feel convicted by your Holy Spirit to step out in faith that we would be given boldness to share the message that we've received and that we've, we've accepted as truth, God. I thank you for your resurrection, that it is powerful, that it's important, that it's what holds everything about our faith together. And without it, God, we are, we are worthless, but we know that with it we have everything. God, you are so good and we love you so much. I pray all these things in Jesus' name today. Amen.